Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. You're with The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. There have been stories that go back generations of women going missing and then found dead with little to no explanation. Is it a hypothermia death? Is it a beating, drug-related, trafficking? We have all the questions in the world, and we don't have the answers. Nationally, four out of five Indigenous women have experienced violence in their lifetime. And according to the Montana Department of Justice, in 2021, 67% of the missing Indigenous persons' cases in their state were women. But in truth, we don't really know the full scope of the problem of murdered and missing Indigenous women. Because according to a report from the Urban Indian Health Institute, there's a nationwide data crisis that almost certainly leads to underestimating the problem. Still, there is a way to learn these stories. My name is Rizelle Benali. And I'm Matthew Galkin, and we are the directors of the docu-series Murder and Bighorn. Ogallala Lakota Diné filmmaker Rizelle Benali is in her thesis year of MFA candidacy of film production at NYU, and her co-director, Matthew Galkin, has directed multiple projects for Showtime and HBO. Their new collaboration is Murder in Bighorn, a gripping three-part docuseries airing now on Showtime. Rizelle and Matthew stop by The Takeaway to tell us about the series. Murder in Bighorn investigates the disappearances and possible murders of a group of Indigenous girls and women on the Northern Cheyenne and Crow Reservations in Montana, which is located in Bighorn County, Montana. What we did with the, with the series was focus a, on a specific uh, place and region because the reality is that this issue, this crisis is happening in every single Indigenous community across North America and even in other Indigenous communities around the world. So we illuminate these two particular reservations because we found a high concentration of cases in such a small area and also the grassroots movement of MMIW was starting to gain momentum with three particular cases, Henny Scott, Kaysera, Stops Pretty Places, and Selena Not Afraid. The first episode of the series features the story of Henny Scott. Henny Scott was a 14-year-old uh, girl who was a freshman in high school at Lame Deer High in Lame Deer, Montana. Um, and in December of 2018, she went missing after leaving a party um, one evening. Her mother and stepfather, um, you know, ultimately met with a lot of, uh, of negligence from local law enforcement, ended up having to do their own search party. They filed a missing persons report, which sat on a desk for almost two weeks. Um, and ultimately, three weeks after she uh, had disappeared, she was found frozen to death about 500 yards from the house where the party took place. Has there been justice in this case? course not. Um, there has been absolutely no justice in this case. Unclear whether it was ever truly investigated, whether the people who were at the party that night were talked to. There's been virtually no communication from law enforcement to Henny's family. Um, and her mother still to this day truly doesn't know who to turn to 
Paula Castro, Henny's mom, is an incredible person and has become quite vocal in the MMIW movement. It's one of the stories we end up telling in the series is how that movement was put on a national stage, by and large, due to the advocacy work of people like Paula. Murder at Bighorn is told solely through the perspectives of Native families, local Native journalists, and local law enforcement. Their voices clarify that the epidemic of murdered and missing Indigenous women is one with a long history of continuing injustice. There are cases stretching back so far that it feels like we're born into it. It feels like as Native women, this is something that's in our DNA. This is something that's in our blood, but that has to change. These cases are not true crime stories to us. These cases are our relatives. Now, Rizal discussed the complex colonial legacy that continues to affect how these cases are managed, more mismanaged. What a lot of people don't know is that we're sovereign nations. We have borders that allow us, in theory, to self-govern. And because of this, law enforcement is sanctioned by the federal government. So basically, your everyday police from town cannot be called upon on the reservation in the event of a crime. And so what happens when there is a crime taking place on the reservation, it requires uh, federal agencies to come and investigate um, in regards to Crow Reservation in Northern Cheyenne in Montana. What happens is that if a non-Native person commits a crime on Native land, they can essentially get away with it. And when a girl goes missing on the reservation, the sheriff's department in Bighorn County cannot basically investigate. It gets really kind of confusing amongst different agencies as to who's going to investigate which crime depending on who the victim is and who the suspects are or is. And it basically becomes a game of hot potato. And to be clear, Rizal's point about overlapping jurisdictions and the limitations of law enforcement is not by any means an indictment of tribal sovereignty. Our lands were taken away from us. We were put on plots of land where there are hardly any natural resources put on the most decimated pieces of the land. Basically, any sort of uh, autonomy that we had pre-colonization was taken away from us. So uh, fast forward to today, tribes are notoriously underfunded. We don't have many resources and we're basically set up to fail. When you're putting it against the larger picture of the government and the way the government was set up to protect basically white male property. There's a big disconnect when we're talking about girls going missing and nobody being held accountable. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment with more from the co-directors of Showtime's docuseries, Murder in Bighorn.
Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and you're with The Takeaway, where we're continuing our conversation about the Showtime docuseries, Murder at Bighorn, which explores the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women in rural Montana, specifically Bighorn County. Our girls don't just die. Somebody abducted her. This is the most dangerous place for Native women in the country. I don't think the issue's real. They can take our women, and nothing will happen. We're just supposed to stay in the back and be a good Indian. I spoke with co-directors Rizelle Benali and Matthew Galkin. And Matthew told us a bit about former Bighorn County News Editor Luella Bryan, who's featured in the docuseries. I decided that this is definitely where I wanted to be. I wanted my kids to be connected to the family, to the community, because despite all of the bad things that happen here, despite missing people, despite high crime rates, despite domestic violence, despite everything. This is our home. Her reporting and her lived experience illuminate the endemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. One of the things that was so staggering to me, obviously not to Rizelle, but to me, um, as a white male, the, the pervasiveness of this issue within virtually every family that we met um, in in that area. Um, and what I've come to understand is virtually every Native family in this country has been touched by this issue, whether it's a sister or a mother or an aunt um, or a brother uh, or son. I mean, there's just, it seems it's just everywhere. Um, there's so much loss. Uh, and so with someone like Luella Bryn, who ultimately, you know, at the beginning of this process, we reached out to A, because she was the um, she was the editor of the local paper, but B, she had written a beautiful op-ed piece about Selena Not Afraid's funeral, um, which we had seen um, and thought she, because Luella is Crow, because um, she has the perspective of a journalist, um, so she's sort of able to, to bring in context to help sort of understand this issue um, at ground level. Um, and because she had an aunt um, named Dee Dee Bryn, who um, in the late seventies was found frozen to death in the snow. Um, and there were, have never, has never been any answers to that, to that murder. Um, and one of the first things that Luella did when she got the job as editor in chief is look up her aunt's case and sort of assess the media coverage. There um, the very slight media coverage that was ever, you know, um, that was ever offered for that case, uh, which is, is pretty heartbreaking. So, you know, for Luella, one of the objectives for this project, because she became quite central to what we were doing, um, is to um, honor her aunt, whose story has not been told for almost 40 years. These stories carry profound personal meaning for co-director Rizelle Benali as well. So growing up, I have two older brothers and I'm the youngest and growing up, I just wasn't allowed to 
go places on my own. I wasn't allowed to, you know, hang out for long periods of time away from my parents or without my older brother, brothers present. And growing into a teenager um, and living in Rapid City, South Dakota, which isn't too far from Montana, um, I realized I had to be hyper aware of my surroundings and uh, more actually uh, quite a few times I, I was followed home as a, a high school student walking back from school and and in the area it was just common for people relatives to go missing and um and for for people to just wonder what happened and you growing up you just understand that somebody will disappear or somebody will turn up dead and nobody will ever know how this happened or why it happened. It's just something that it's, it's ingrained in a, in a, in a, in a lot of everyday life. And it didn't become apparent to me until I became a, a young adult that this doesn't happen in other communities. You know what I mean? And it was, uh, it was kind of heartbreaking to one day kind of just let that absorb and, and understand that. I asked Matthew and Rizal if their filmmaking journey had led them to solutions. I mean, one of the most eye-opening things to me coming into this project was learning the historical context of why MMIW even exists as an issue in 2023. And it, you know, goes all the way back to colonization. And so this to me, the you know two plus years I've spent on this project becomes part of my continuing education of the real American history, things that I was never taught um, growing up. Uh, so, you know, I would like to see more sort of stark, honest conversations about, um, you know, the ways in which um, Native American communities um, were were and are being held down um by the rest of our country um you know the things that uh were eye-opening to me you know Rizelle and I tried to sort of engineer the series to be eye-opening to every other non-native that um that watches the series it was really it's really important for us to to reach the widest possible audience with this issue and so you know all of these all of these uh, historical aspects um, hopefully will be as um, shocking and eye-opening to, to those audiences as it was to me. For us, I mean, we're filmmakers. We're not um, policymakers. We're not, uh, we're filmmakers. We're not policymakers. We're not even private investigators. We're not law enforcement. We're not military trained. Um, we went into this uh basically give trying to give a platform to people whose voices have been silenced and shunned and so all we can do is help illuminate and um give platform to the truth of these families and get these stories out there and i know there's been some uh criticism on on our series regarding you know there's no answer <laughs> to there's no answer there's no solution that we presented in this series well 
the goal was to present the issue. Um, and as much as we can sit all day and go back and forth on solutions, um, as long as the people, it, if people feel something about an issue, they will want to do what they can and they will activate themselves and we can all come together to to make change happen. But if people don't know about it, then why are they going to care? So it's really just about creating empathy amongst audiences and um, elevating the visibility of this crisis. I really want people to feel something for the victims and for what these families are going through. For me, it was so important to create uh, an experience where empathy is fostered um, because natives, indigenous people, we still exist. And I think oftentimes um, people forget that we still exist and that we're not just relics of the past. And mm -hmm. It's really important. If you see us as human, then you're going to care and you're going to want to do something. So as uncomfortable as a series might feel at times or as enraged as somebody might feel, there's so many other natives out there that are feeling that, that have felt that and will continue to feel that until justice is, is, is served, until things change, until young native girls and, and our women can feel safe and protected. You know, what does it take uh, when a girl, one of our girls goes missing? What, what does it take for it to be the perfect case to get national coverage? What does it take for us, um, for somebody to fight for our case when one of us um, ends up being found deceased and there's 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 no suspect in in the possible murder like what does it take you know um i'm sure if this of any of these things which i do not will on anybody but like i'm sure people would be upset and outraged just as these families are but in our case we're constantly being silenced and we're constantly have to fight uh we, we constantly have to fight to get heard so Hopefully, like, you know, I can't stress it enough, but hopefully, like, you know, something is felt amongst the the broader audiences about about this issue. You know, our lives matter because we're human. Roselle Benali and Matthew Galkin, directors of the docuseries Murder in Bighorn. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And the final episode of Murder in Bighorn airs on Showtime this Sunday, February 19th.